0: Go, go, go! Let's go, 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 White Sox. Chicago
1: is proud of you. This is
0: White Sox Weekly. The Chicago baseball conversation on the new flagship home of the Sox. 720 WGN. White Sox Weekly, 720 WGN. How you doing, everybody? Welcome to your Saturday night. I know Amy Guth is normally on right here, but uh, with the White Sox game being in the afternoon, you get me tonight until 9 o'clock as we will go through White Sox Weekly. Don Cooper's going to be on the show. Our Chuck, Chuck Garfine from NBC Sports will be here as well. And we're going to have some highlight interviews from the first half of the season from your All-Stars. We'll have a little bit of Lucas Giolito. We'll have a little bit of James McCann. And we'll have a guy who I think could be an All-Star at least someday. Uh, Aaron Bummer, we'll, who uh, we had a great conversation with, will play a little snippet of that as well. Hey, head to the park for Dollar Hot Dogs every Wednesday home game this season. You can take advantage of this unbeatable deal on Wednesday, July the 24th as the Sox take on the Marlins at seven ten p.m., Rare to see the Marlins at Guaranteed Right Field. It's brought to you by Securian Financial, who can help you make every moment count. Find out more at Securian.com. For tickets, visit WhiteSox.com slash Dollar Dogs today. We didn't get to Ricky Rent we didn't get to Ricky Renteria in the post-game show, but we can do it right now. Uh, this was Ricky after the ball game, as uh, apparently a little bit upset here. I haven't heard it, so. Uh, judging by the comments on Twitter, he was not thrilled with uh, how the White Sox have started the second half. Yesterday was a five-one loss. Today, thirteen to two. So this was Ricky after the ball game.
1: That's a great question. <laughs> uh, no, you know what? He, he was missing his spots quite a bit, and uh, with the pitch count getting up and just coming back, unfortunately, just coming back off of you know the shoulder issue. Uh, once he got past thirty pitches, uh, unfortunately, I wasn't going to even you know. To take a chance leave him out there uh, and we brought him dead but I, I think just think it just wasn't commanding well enough he's okay as far as you know yeah I mean, physically, his body language wasn't great but physically no physically he's, he's fine yeah physically he's fine uh, just didn't go didn't have a, a good outing obviously but uh, physically he's fine I guess when you hit you, you look flat but
2: uh, just coming out of the break these first two haven't
1: we have you know what we're better than this it looks flat uh, opposing club jumps on you, and, you know, pretty strongly early. Uh, it always looks like you're you're flat. I know we put together what six or seven hits today. It didn't really string anything together of, of significance to be able to do, do much until the end. You know, we, we put one across the board with a run down the ball down the line, and uh, you know we get the fielder's choice uh, ground ball from and to get the second uh, run, but. Um, no, we haven't been doing a whole lot offensively, so it, it looks it could look like your, your club is flat um, we just got to try and minimize the damage this is a pretty good hitting ball club and they got some good pitching so a combo of those things can, can put you you know can stop you a little bit, but we've played better than this, these are probably two of the, the toughest games or the worst games kind of looking back to back that I can remember for us and uh for me, it has nothing to do with coming out of the break. It's just, that's a good club, and, and they're showing that they're a good club, and we've got to be able to hold our own with them.
0: So there we go, Ricky Renteria. So he's not really, he's just, uh, I think just has a pride in the team right now that they are better than than what they are showing to start the second half. And whether it was, whatever, if these games were in the first half, it really... I don't think Ricky he underlined that it's not about the fact that uh, we just came off the All-Star break. It's just these games in particular. So we'll see if the White Sox can uh, play a little bit better tomorrow. I want to, uh, before we go any further, just congratulations to the three All-Stars. Uh, Lucas Giolito was awesome to see him on the mound in Cleveland. Walks the first batter, but then able to get through the inning. Uh, with that one walk and a strikeout, I thought it was just, you know, you always get nervous that you're gonna, that's gonna go sideways. And it didn't for Lucas. And then James McCann coming on, got a knock. That was good to see. First time All-Star getting a base hit. And, uh, Jose Abreu's been there before. He got his one at bat, went 0 for 1. But, uh, it was just cool to see three White Sox players in the All-Star game this year. And hopefully, you know, more to come on that one. I would be, I will take odds that Yoan Moncada is going to make more than an All-Star game appearance one or two and or three. Uh he's having a phenomenal season. The hitting streak 14 games. Uh and yes, that did, you know, came to an end today, but uh regardless, uh Yoan has had a season where you think this guy, the former top prospect in all of baseball, uh, will be playing in some all-star games down the line. Arguably, he could have played in one this year. Hey, if you're ready to upgrade your game day experience, now is the time. Save up to 45% when you purchase a diamond suite now through July the 18th. Numerous exciting matchups left this season. Don't miss out on its great value. For more information, visit whitesockscom slash flash sale today. 312-981-7200. That's the phone number for White Sox Weekly. If you want to jump on in here, feel free. And, uh, yes, we're going to check in with uh, Chuck Garfine. Our Chuck coming up a little bit after 7.30. Let's we'll take a quick timeout, and we'll come back with the White Sox pitching coach Don Cooper will join us on the program. Coop is coming up here on 720 WGN. This is White Sox Weekly. At the wall, the 380 gone. A three-run homer for Tim Anderson. 3-1 White Sox. Back to White Sox Weekly on 720 WGN. Some texts coming in here, White Sox Weekly, 720 WGN. Anyone who says the White Sox can learn from a humiliating defeat is a liar. Well, listen here, 217. I don't appreciate being called a liar on White Sox Weekly. And you do learn when you get knocked down. It's not fun. It's not going to change the course of time. But... There are some things that the White Sox can extract from today. How, whatever, whatever they're processing, and look, baseball is a long, long season. Everybody knows this. It's 162 games. You're not going to live and die on one game. But there were some, you can't tell me that Dylan Covey, in his two thirds of an inning, didn't learn something today. I'm sure he's taken something away from that game that he's thinking about tonight. I'm sure that Ross Detweiler coming out of the bullpen when he's not expected to be in there in the first inning, is going home and thinking about how he could be better than what he did tonight. So, somebody, anytime you have any experience, even when it goes sideways, even when it goes as bad as it can possibly go, there is always a little bit of a, a nugget that you can take from it and, and, and use... Uh, for your benefit, going forward, when your when your gaps are exposed to one seven, it is an opportunity to learn, make a move, and uh, be better in the future. So you got to You got to you got to look at it as a positive as best you can. That's my take. You can call me a liar again if you want to. Head to the park on Saturday, July the twenty seventh, as the Sox take on the Twins at six ten p.m. It's Marvel superhero night. You should go out there for that, Curtis Coke. And the first 12,000 fans will take home a White Sox Spider-Man bobblehead. Get your tickets today at WhiteSox.com. Do you have a Spider-Man bobblehead? I don't, but I have the, Han,
3: or the Hawk Solo bobblehead that was given out a few years ago, so I, I might go for that.
0: Am I correct in thinking that Marvel Superhero Night does... Somewhat connect to you. Am I right about that or no? Yes, I am.
2: I'm a, I'm a Marvel
0: guy. Yes. Yeah. Uh-huh. See, see, I, I know my, I know my Marvel people when I see him. All right, let's bring in our guy, the White Sox pitching coach Don Cooper. Whenever I talk to Coop, it's always a fascinating conversation. He basically just wants to tell me, like, look, 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 Carmen, you know, no, you do not know anything about baseball. Just listen to me, and I'm going to teach you. And that's what I do, and that's why I love talking to Coop. So I, uh, I spoke to Coop yesterday. I started out the conversation with him. Hey, Don Cooper, what, uh, what were you most happy about in the first half? What were you most disappointed about? Uh, how are you looking at the start of the second half of the season? So, And, of course, uh, Coop answered that and a whole lot more. This was Coop answering how he feels the first half went and what's coming forward. Well,
4: geez, you know what? Listen. First of all, I I, I want to say we're two games under five hundred. Uh, you know, and we're in a rebuild. Let's make that clear. Um, we're fighting this scratching and clawing. We've got heart. We've got we've got we got heart, and we're getting more and more talent. You know, Eloy's up here, Makata, Anderson, Giolino, Lopez, Fry, Bum. I mean, you know the names, and we're continuing our journey. And, uh, you know, I'd lo- the, the thing that's disappointing is, you know, we lost our starting shortstop, and we lost our opening day pitcher, starting pitcher in us. But you know what? That's where the word I used a second ago, fight, comes in. We, we got fight, and we got heart. And when you're a part of something like that, you want to keep that going and, and, and continue that. So we, we've got a, a real challenge ahead of us in the second
0: half, and we're looking forward to it. So if somebody told you, Coop, this time last year, or even at the end of last year, or maybe even like say mid-May, that Lucas Giolito was going to pitch in the All-Star game in Cleveland. Would you believe believed that?
4: Uh, no, I, I. You know, being honest, no. But the guy, the, the son of a gun, uh, he learned an awful lot from last year, the ups and downs. Went home, changed his arm action a little bit, along with everything else he's learned you know in his, where he's at in the process which is his second full year in the big leagues you know it takes a while to turn out to be a player and he's made making that adjustment but you know with that being said he's had an outstanding first half and the challenge for him is to you know sprint across the finish line that that that'd be my hope
0: how has your conversations with Lucas changed from like what you guys were talking about last year to to what it tends to be right now
4: well, I'm going to give you one example, and one example only. Last year he was talking about, you know, we were talking, there was conversation where was sequencing pitches. And I remember saying, well, how about we sequencing a couple of strikes in a row? <laughs> you know, he wasn't throwing enough strikes, and now he is. So now we can actually talk about sequencing. But that, that's it. You know, listen, his first half last year was, was a rough one. But I've seen this before. You know, I, I always use John Garland as an example. His first year, highly talented first-round pick, trained with the Cubs, he wasn't ready to give what everybody was looking for right away, but with the patience we showed him and let him go out there, he took some lumps, he gave some lumps, and a year and a half later he helped us win a world championship. And we're hoping that that's kind of the same thing, the path for Lucas as well as other guys who we've got.
0: Yeah, and just one more on Lucas. When you think about the next level or even just being consistent where he's at, is it just as simple as staying in the strike zone consistently or are you guys, I, you know... I'm, no, listen,
4: yeah. I'm going to be... When I say, whenever I talk to you or anybody else, I might say strikes, and, and I mean that, but I want well-located strikes when the fastball is supposed to be on the left, left-handers' hand, hands, when it's supposed to be on the right hands down the away, I'm looking for command. And you know what, well, listen, if you watch a lot of his games in the first half, he had high-level stuff operating on a high level of efficiency. You know, with fastball, curveball, slider, and change and throw it to those quality locations. When a guy does that, you know, especially with solid stuff like Lucas has, you know, they're going to
0: be successful. Let's move on to Dylan Cease, Coop, and he's got one start in the books, and, of course, we got a whole second half to play with here. How'd you see him in his first start at Guaranteed Rate Field, and, and what's the plan here going forward as far as maximizing his opportunity in the second half to get comfortable with the big leagues? And, uh, you know, hey... Get some victories.
4: Don't cease. Listen, today Today or tomorrow uh, we're going to have a light sideline, a work day. And, you know, his process has, begun, has just begun as far as I'm concerned. Um, you cannot simulate major leagues and what it's all about in the minor leagues. You come close, but you can't get it because this is the highest level. So now his sidelines, his work days, and his improvement and his process has begun. And that's the way I look at a lot of the guys. You know, It's a process. Where are they at with, in the process? And his, he's just got out of the gate, you know, because he's had one start, one sideline, and we're getting ready now. We'll get him ready for Kansas City Royals' second day in Kansas City on this road trip.
0: In his first start, Coop, I was listening to Farmio on the radio, and as it started to go sideways in the first inning, Ed was saying, you know, all oh, my first start didn't go great either. And then he was able to right the ship. I'm assuming that that impressed you for, you know, a young guy, not able to find the strike zone, but then to be able to work it back in and get through five, I thought that was a pretty good sign.
5: Uh,
4: yeah, you know what, listen, that's you know, the thing I'm thinking about is a perk of my job is getting to see guys reach their dreams you know, since they're little kids. Yeah. And so we did that. We got to see that with him as many, as well as many, many guys over the years. And not only did we see that he got a win in his first outing, uh, he made some nice adjustments as we went. We moved him a little bit on the rubber. You know, we eliminated some cut on his fastball that uh, was unwanted cut. Um, you know, and, and he was able to fight his way through and compete. So, again, that's a great learning thing for him, and, 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 you know, it's all about learning things and experience and, and, and getting through it and continuing to climb. As I'm saying that, I'm thinking about the experience that Lucas just had with, with uh, competing in the All-Star game and, you know, going out there adrenaline flow. You know, he's, he, and he walked the first guy, but he righted the ship there, you know. So that's a growth thing for him. And uh, it's all about growth for each one of the guys. And that's what our goal is in the second half. You know, with everybody we've got on our team, position player, and pick, we're trying to make more strides forward in the rebuild and, and, and their experience and, and put them in better positions to help us win come the future.
0: A lot was made about Lucas talking to Dylan during that start. Do you, I don't know, give advice to guys like, hey, you know, you can say this much to a, to a teammate, but you don't want to, you know, overload him with the information because a lot of guys, you know, perhaps might, A, try to do too much, not process it, whatever, just get out of their own, maybe just get too much in their own way, I guess. Well, listen,
4: I, any help that Lucas might give is, is great, but, you know, I kind of done this for 19 years. <laughs> yeah. um, and so I've seen plenty of guys come through. And plenty of guys first starts, and uh, you want as little as possible. Go well, out and compete. See how good you can throw the ball where the catchers setting up. And but there was an adjustment to be made, and uh, you know, and we and we made it in that game. You know, so uh, you know it, it's interesting uh, that topic, though.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, uh, to, to be to be talked about a little bit further, Coop. What what people are wondering about? Ronaldo Lopez will he stay in the rotation? And Ricky has, has said that he's if,
4: staying in the rot. He's staying in the rotation. Go ahead. Yeah. You know. You know. Listen. Yeah. It, it, didn't you, I hope you're listening to what I've been saying. Last year, everybody to want to run Lucas out of town, right? Yep. And now he's very, very good. You know, he's doing well. So with that patience that we had in him paid off. So we're gonna have that same patience with anybody. Um, you know, here's another, here's another kicker I got for you because they're not going to get in the car and go. It's my last statement. Okay. Roger Clemens, Randy Johnson, uh, and Nolan Ryan. They're Hall of Famers, right? Sure. In their first couple of years, they didn't have it. They didn't get it together and, and they were Hall of Famers and, and, and they gave them patience and they became, you know, great players. So if having patience with three guys that are, don't, shouldn't everybody be afforded that? that's freaking the patients i've just i've been saying this for years but the people are, they ain't getting it yeah you know you got to go you got to let them go out there and experience the stuff they're going to experience the ups and downs learn and grow you know? yeah uh, yeah so you know that's what i just told you right now i got them in a the rotation
0: <laughs> I right, we 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 snipped off the end there, which was a, a classic ending. Do you have it there, Curtis? I want to, It's it's a fun way the way Coop says goodbye to me. Can I hear that? It's really enjoyable. I love talking to Coop. He just hey, ba- Coop. See you later. Thank you. <laughs> See you later, Carmen. Not with your questions about Ronaldo Lopez and Lucas Giolito at our rotation and 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 Lucas talking to Dylan Seeks as if he gave him some wisdom that Cooper and everybody else wasn't passing along. Uh, hey, man, Coop's done it a long, long time and uh, has had a ton of success. And, look, as far as Lopez staying in the rotation, I sort of felt like he was a little bit shooting the messenger. It's just a question that's been out there. And at some point, I, I get it. Listen, John Garland struggled long list of guys have had their struggles in the big leagues before they figured it out but there is a point in time where you know what it isn't working out at the big league level you do need to go down and work through things at triple a and then make your way on back here i'm not saying that's going to happen to Ronaldo lopez i don't think it will but it has happened to different guys carson fulmer is a guy that I don't think anybody was necessarily predicting at the start of last season was going to be spending as much time in AAA as he has. That's the way it went for Carson Fulmer. Now Ronaldo Lopez is a different level of talent. I get it. And hopefully he'll pitch well tomorrow. Hey, bring your family a four to a White Sox game for as low as $49. That's with a family four-pack. You get four tickets, four hot dogs, four drinks, four chips. It's presented by Country Financial. Prepare for your financial future one simple step at a time at takesimplesteps.com. For tickets, visit whitesocks.com slash fourpacks and enter that promo code VALUE. News coming up in two minutes, and then we'll have Chuck Garfine from NBC Sports Chicago. That is next on White Sox Weekly 720 WGN. See you later. White Sox Weekly 720 WGN. This portion of White Sox Weekly sponsored by Mazda of Orland Park and ZoomZoomNation.com where they're always trying to make your car shopping fun. Always fun to have our Chuck, Chuck Garfine, NBC Sports Chicago on White Sox Weekly. We haven't done this in a while, Chuck Garfine. Good to have you, sir.
3: It is great to be on with you.
0: How are you, Carmen? I am I am excellent. Uh, happy that today's ball game is over. I know you feel the same way. I was trying to watch your postgame show as I was doing my postgame show because you had Ozzie Guillen on there today, and he was talking about why it's impossible for the White Sox seemingly to win in Oakland, and I didn't get to hear it because I had to go back on the air. So can you uh, recap what Ozzie came up with on that one? Because uh, that's seven losses in a row, Chuck Garfine.
3: Yeah, well, before I get to what Ozzy said, um, I mean, Ozzy has, has something to do with it as well. I mean, in 2005, obviously they win the World Series. They went to Oakland twice that season, and the White Sox lost two of three, both times. In 2006, in September, they're fighting for a, a division title. They're 22 games over five hundred. They go to Oakland. And they get swept. So even in the good years, the White Sox have struggled in Oakland. And he had a, a story that he told where he was managing, and Timo Perez
0: was great. Name. in center field. Can you hear me? Yeah, no, great name, Timo I Perez. I love it. Go ahead. Oh, yeah, Timo Perez was in center field. He caught the ball
3: through to first base to try to double up whoever the base runner was. Paul Canerco was not at first base for some reason. And the ball ended up landing, or not landing, um, stopping in between Ozzy's legs in the dugout. <laughs> so he took...
0: Oh, no. We lost Chuck Garfine. Seems like he's in a little bit of a, a And dry whacked Ozzy right back in the face. Okay, you cut out for like so 10 seconds done. there, Chuck. The ball landed right between Ozzie's legs. Go from there. All right. So the ball
3: landed right in Ozzy's legs, or stopped at, right between Ozzy's legs. He took the ball, threw it against, or went to throw it against the side of the dugout, but it hit the top of the dugout ceiling. And it went right back at Ozzy's face and whacked him <laughs> in the side of the head. <laughs> so there's Oakland for you White Sox fans.
0: Well, see, that that's just because the dugout configuration in a football stadium is now what you get at guaranteed rate field. And that's just unfortunate, and Ozzy didn't deserve that type of treatment, clearly. No, no,
3: but I mean, listen, if you're a Sox fan, you... You've experienced so many painful losses from, and I hate to bring this up, but I'm just kind of doing that to myself and venting from a Kurt Suzuki walk-off home run. I remember that. (laughs) Uh, The A's decide to have a free ticket game where they give every ticket away for free, and it happens to come against the White Sox last year. I remember. And 47,000 fans show up, and the White Sox get blown out. You have James Shields, actually before James Shields. Uh, This was last year, I think. The Sox led six to one after two innings. They blow the lead. They tie it up. They go into fourteen innings. They have to bring James Shields out of the bullpen, and he coughs up a run, and they lose that one. I mean, just it's just so many crazy losses in Oakland over the years. This like goes back to my childhood. It's just it's, it's it's so rough. I I hate whenever they play in Oakland because I I'm bracing for
0: the worst. It's I love that your childhood is being brought in here, Chuck. That's awesome. And uh, James Shields actually got credit, uh, thinking back to that last year, where, you know what, I'm willing to take the ball. You need me here. It impacted the rotation at the time. Memories, Chuck Garfine. Uh, hey, I want to congratulate you on your, your White Sox Talk podcast, which is, uh, you know, you guys have been doing a phenomenal job for a long time on it. And I just thought it was such a cool idea to do the 25th anniversary of Michael Jordan's quest to play baseball for the White Sox. And you you sat with Ozzy, who apparently played a game of two-on-one against him with Joey Cora. And I know you want people to check out the podcast, so everybody don't give it all up here. Uh, Frank Thomas is on there. You had the Barons broadcaster, Kurt Bloom. So it's just an awesome... I haven't listened to it yet. I'm just looking at uh, what you guys have on the show in your little post here. So I'm excited, Chuck Garfine, to hear about it. Did you learn anything that you didn't know that you could underline for us? I mean... Well, the
3: Aussie and Joey Cora two-on-one against Michael while he was uh, preparing to play baseball that winter is, is epic. you got to hear that one. I knew a little bit about it, but Aussie goes into great detail about it. Um, and, I, and, you know, uh, Darren Jackson played outfield yeah. with yep. Michael, and he goes into the game where the White Sox played the Cubs at Wrigley Field. This was in April. This was when the, there was no interleague play, so the only way for the White Fox and Cubs to play an exhibition game, and it was only one, was to find a mutual off day, and it was like the first or second week in April. Michael came up, and he got two big hits, and one of his hits, he scored Darren Jackson, so uh, Darren talked about that. And uh, Kurt Bloom, who was the broadcaster then and now for the Birmingham Barons, tells great stories about uh, you know, they're on the road uh, on, a, on a bus that Michael bought for the team, and they're just showing up at a convenience store at 2 o'clock in the morning, and who walks in? Michael Jordan in the <laughs> middle of nowhere. <laughs> uh, Michael rode the bus. I'm mean, sorry, drove the bus. Michael drove the bus one or two times. Imagine driving in your car on the road somewhere in Alabama or Mississippi, a a bus drives by you look at it and who's driving michael jordan at a time when michael jordan was the most popular maybe person on the planet so uh kurt talks about that so it's uh it was a a fun podcast to put together and this is the 25th anniversary of uh, michael trying to play baseball with the white Sox.
0: for the record if he had stuck with it he would have made it
3: that's my opinion and we talk yeah and i asked ozzy frank thomas uh, everyone on it, I think I asked, uh, I, um, Darren Jackson. Oh, and Bill Melton has a part of this as well. Bill Melton taught Jordan, or tried to teach Jordan, how to hit. That was his first teacher, wow. Bill Melton. So uh, he's on there too.
0: Hit two sixty-seven in the fall league. 30, 30 stolen bases, 50 RBIs, a double A, hadn't played for 15 years. Give him credit. All right, hey, Ch- Chuck Garfine, NBC Sports Chicago, with us here on White Sox Weekly. Uh, I saw a tweet today from uh, I think it was I think it was Daryl Van Scowen. Regardless, uh, the tweet is this: Chuck Garfine, the White Sox yep. home attendance is up four thousand and forty from last year to this year, uh, which is the highest in the American League as far as an increase. And uh, the Phillies, with Bryce Harper, have the biggest increase in baseball at a little over eighty six hundred. Uh, my point is this: and you're in the thick of this and have been for a long, long time. To me, it seems like White Sox fans are happier right now than they have been in at least a decade. Does it feel like that to you?
3: Yeah, I mean, let's put it in perspective. First off, with the attendance. I mean, it was really, it's been low. Our TV ratings are, you know, through the roof compared to where they've been. Um, So I think what's going on is there's an excitement that White Sox fans haven't felt, I would, yeah, probably say since 2008. Now, there have been exciting times um, between then, like when they they went all in that one winter where they signed, re-signed AJ, and they got Adam Dunn, and there was excitement. Yep, that's the, true. there was the off season of twenty fourteen when they got Melky Cabrera, David Robertson, Jeff Samarja, you know Adam LaRoche. Obviously, these these didn't pan out, but there was excitement. But this is something that is more sustainable and more real. You know and so I think I know that Sox fans are fired up about it you can see it on people's faces and how they talk and how they walk they're just proud of where this is going now when they you know lose tough games in Oakland it's you know you, you don't really feel that way but uh, you the arrow is pointing up with this this franchise it is happening and so I think that's why people are getting excited and it's only going to increase year after year because I'm so excited about what's here and what is coming.
0: Well, speaking of what is coming, coming. Luis Robert got another hit tonight, uh, and he's just crushing AAA after crushing AA after crushing high single A. No one thinks he's going to be up here this year. Are are you holding it that they may do – Perhaps an Eloy type of deal with Luis, uh, you know, in the offseason? or do you see him up here next May, or would you like to spring some some cheer here and say, you know what, I think you might actually be a September call up.
3: You know, this is uh, you know a decision that is uh, not for me to say because I don't know what they're thinking internally, but there are two, there's many sides to this and many different ways to look at it. Is Luis could Luis Robert come to majors? And be the best center fielder with the White Sox right now immediately? Absolutely. He would be. He would be their best center fielder and he could possibly be great from the beginning. Or he could struggle. I mean, one of the two things, but he would already be better than what they have right now. Right. So there's that. Um. There is the potential service time thing, and I believe it's the same thing as Aloy Jimenez. You know, he signed an international contract uh, or a contract as international signee, and that was the same thing basically that uh, Jimenez signed. So he might be—I think he's under the same parameters. But then you got to also consider this: like, if you really want to start winning in 2020, you have to weigh the pros and cons of maybe having—is it worth having Luis Robert? here in september or august or whenever you feel like he's ready if he is and does that outweigh the additional year you would potentially get with Luis robert in say seven years and one thing that i always look at with the white Sox is you know they've now it takes two people two sides to this two teams or two sides have to tango with this i'm not getting the right metaphor here but you know what i'm talking about um, it takes two to tango. There we go. We got you. You're good. Uh, yeah. You know, when the White Sox really like one of their players, they try to lock them up to a long-term extension before they even get to free agency. So, I mean, who's to say that the Sox call up Robert in September and they may roll the dice in three years and say, you know what, we're going to lock you up so we don't even reach that you know seventh year they were holding out for and we've locked you up. Already to a, a team friendly contract, he might be willing to do that. And, you know, th- there's a window there. And, you know, there, I think there's something to consider about having him up here in September. It's not just, oh, it's just September. If you really want to win next year, Luis Robert can take something from being in the majors for a month or whatever it is if he's ready. So, I, is it a slam dunk that he's not going to be here this year? I mean, I would probably say if you're a Sox fan, don't bet on it. But, you know, if you really want to win next year, starting next year, you know, I think there's something to be said about having him up early just in case.
0: Chuck, Garvey making a good everybody argument a good here. Idea. We'll see what happens. I, I Obviously, yeah. I mean, everybody, we want our instant gratification. That's how we live in this world. And, and seeing Luis Robert up here uh, would be exactly that. And maybe, as you're pointing out, makes a lot of sense for next year if you're trying to get off to a great start and, and be in contention yeah. and, and whatever they're going to add. I mean, I think I think you're making great points here. Uh, Chuck Garfine, NBC Sports Chicago, with us. Your friend uh, Chris Kompka, who does a great job over at NBC Sports as well, he put out this tweet. The White Sox are last in baseball in walks and 29th in baseball in extra base hits. Um, so... That is a stat that's a little bit concerning here, Chuck Garfine. I, I don't, I don't know, uh, I don't know if you have any answers for this, but that, I, I was actually surprised to see that stat.
3: Uh, I'm not surprised, um, mainly because two guys who usually get a lot of walks are not doing that this year, and that's Moncada and Abreu. And why they're not getting walks are two different reasons. I think Moncada's just trying to be more aggressive, and he's not striking out as much, and Abreu in my opinion, hasn't had enough protection behind him, so he's not getting the best pitches. And when he's not getting the best pitches, he's also realizing I have to get the job done. And he is getting the job done with a lot of RBIs, but he can't be that a, a more patient hitter like he has in the past because you know, y- you couldn't rely on what's been behind him on most days. I mean, we had Yonder Alonso up there for a long time back and forth. And so I think that has that plays into it. And you've got a lot of guys in your lineup who are not, you know, patient hitters. And so this is not a finished product offense by any stretch of the imagination, but they are getting there. Jimenez has started to take his walks, but Larry Garcia doesn't do it. Right. Luis Robert, who will be up next year, he doesn't get a lot of walks either. John Jay is someone who does do that, but he hasn't been here. So, you know, and Yonder Alonso was drawing walks, but, you know, he wasn't hitting. So there's, there's a lot to that. Um, but they need to add, they're not getting anything from their DH position, and they're not getting much from right field. What they need next year is, they got, I mean, if, it, if, it, if you ask me, get a real good right fielder, get a real good DH, and a lot of these numbers are going to go up, including wins.
0: I don't want to ask you, a, philosoph- to ask you. A, a philosophical question here, Chuck. I don't know why I am hearing myself back here, but here, walks are something that uh, we've all learned in 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 the sabermetric era that are very important. Getting on base is good, and I get a little bit bogged down myself with exit velocity. Yes, I've known this since I came out of the womb. Hitting the baseball hard is good. Launch angle, right? I get it. Hitting the ball over the fence that's a win too. Uh, I I miss the speed, though, in the game and what they're doing in the Atlantic League. If the ball goes in the dirt, you can try to steal first base, I think is cool. And I think baseball has a problem here, Chuck, because the way to actually win is incongruent, if I may use that word, with what is entertaining for the fan to watch. And I think it's great to try to whatever, wait out in a bat and get yourself a walk or try to hit the ball over the fence. But fans don't like watching 14 strikeouts in a game. I mean, me and you probably would watch any game, right? But somebody who's actually looking to be entertained, it just becomes boring. So baseball has a a little bit of an issue. The NBA has the same issue, by the way, because they're just shooting threes all day long, and that's boring. So when you have like the way to win is not the best thing for to actually watch the game, it's not great, so I don't know if you have any solutions for this, but I'd love to hear them if you do.
3: Well, first off, you can't tell a player, "Hey, don't work the count because fans aren't going to like it and you're, it's boring." Right. Um, this is just this is just ingrained in the minds of the front offices and in the players because they want to have a position on the uh, on a roster. Um, you know, but it's not just that. I mean, it's, you know, pitchers, when they get a uh, hitter in an 0-2 count, I mean, they're in a blind too, because they don't know how to put these guys away. How many times are pitchers a, get a hitter in an 0-2 count and it ends up 3-2? Like, put the guy away. Um, so it goes both ways, I think. And, um, you know, I don't have the answers. It's, I think baseball is a cyclical game. This is not going to be from here to eternity, I don't believe. But I think there's, you know, maybe I'm a little naive here, but I think the, what I hear about the pace of play about baseball, I hear it a lot from the media more so than fans. And people are always saying, oh, the young people don't like the sport because it's too slow. I can't tell you how many young fans I watch, I see at these games. Um, and that's just that's just my eye test. Do I wish the games were quicker? Yes. Um, but you know, if you're at a game, I mean, I, I've never really been at a game as a fan or as a member of the media where I'm like, this game is dragging. Get me out of here. I, I mean, just like I'd rather, I'd rather be. Uh, you, you, I don't know. I'm just, I'm paying for my entertainment. dollars. well. You want to get a good game. You're not always going to get that, but um, I don't. know. It, listen, I can go in a lot of different directions with this one, and I'm not. I don't have the answers. But I think it's kind of – it's not blown out of proportion because it's real. But what seems to be blown out of proportion for me is the idea that the game is in big, big trouble um, because it's too slow. Uh, there's this, the game has some issues, and they're trying to fix them. But it's, uh, you know, yeah, I, I think you know. If, you have a, if you have a winning product, if you have a winning product, People are going to come to your games, people are going to watch your games, and you're going to make money. If you do not have a winning product, it goes the opposite way. That's what I think.
0: Fair enough. Listen, Fair enough. people are always going to want to yeah. go to the ballpark, yeah. eat hot dogs, drink beer, have peanuts, go, bring a date, bring a friend, whatever. I get it. I just, uh, I don't know. I'm trying to see the future be your future, Chuck Garfine. That's a, that's the best that I, yeah. it was my it was my deep thoughts of the day. Hey, uh, okay. I I, I greatly appreciate you coming on, Chuck. As as you know, so thanks for taking time and continue the amazing work that you're doing. Love love the feel of the broadcast right now. It's just uh, it's just a good vibe. So uh, you're, you're you're doing awesome work, Chuck Garfan I enjoy you on the on the old on the big screen, if you will. Hey,
3: thanks, Mark. Love you on the radio.
0: <laughs> thanks, brother. And
3: on TV when I see you on Sports Talk Live.
0: There you go. T- talk to you soon, Chuck. See you. See you later. Chuck Garfine, NBC Sports Chicago. That was a slightly long interview. Hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. Quick timeout,
4: 720 WGN. Wow, what a play! 720 WGN, the team's flagship radio station.
0: You're listening to White Sox Weekly on the home of the Sox, 720 WGN. Second hour, White Sox Weekly. Good to have you along with you till 9 o'clock tonight. White Sox lost to the Oakland A's earlier today, 13-2. to They'll try to salvage the final game of the series coming up tomorrow afternoon, 2.30, our pregame. First pitch a little bit after 3 o'clock, Ronaldo Lopez on the mound. Next weekend, it is the Hall of Fame induction ceremony. And yes, what does that mean to White Sox Weekly? I probably don't need to remind you, but I will. Harold Baines is going to be going in to baseball's Hall of Fame. And uh, Harold, a man of few words, Harold Baines, but uh one of the classiest guys uh, to ever put on the uniform. Six-time All Star, eighty-five through eighty-seven, and then eighty-nine and ninety-one, and then even nineteen ninety-nine, at forty years old, uh, Harold Baines made the All-Star game. Think about that—forty years old. He started out the season that year with the Orioles, uh, and he had three twenty-two with Baltimore that year. With uh, how many home runs did Harold have in ninety-nine? Twenty-five bombs in ninety-nine. That's that's impressive. Uh, but, of course, started his career with the White Sox all the way back in 1980. Uh, came up as a 21-year-old rookie. And then was with the Sox all the way through the 89 year before heading off to the Rangers, and then Oakland, and then Baltimore, and then back with the White Sox in 1996. Um, a year where he knocked out 22 homers, 95 RBIs, 37 years old, still doing it. And, of course, Harold's number three. Uh, retired, and deservedly so. He's also in the Orioles Hall of Fame. He won a Silver Slugger in 89 and a World Series with the White Sox as a coach back in 2005. And Harold's just a guy that I think everybody loves, so I wanted to give him a little love here as we started our 8 o'clock hour. You can join us as the Sox take on the Oakland Athletics on Saturday, August the 10th, that's the day before my birthday, at 6.10 p.m., the first 20,000 fans. We'll get a Aloy Jimenez first MLB home run bobblehead that's presented by Guaranteed Rate, your trusted teammate throughout the mortgage process. Get started today at rate.com. To purchase tickets, visit WhiteSocks.com. All right, let's uh, bring in our guy, James McCann, and we talked to uh, midway through the first half of the season. James, of course, an all-star and getting a knock in Cleveland and Nobody thought that James McCann, after hitting 220 with the Tigers last year, was going to come over here and have as big of an impact as he's had. So we start out the conversation with James as to uh, what he knew about the White Sox uh, coming over, playing against him for so many years up in Detroit.
5: Well, honestly, uh, it was fun to to watch the youth uh, come up to the big leagues. You know, after... After the big trades of sale and Quintana and, and the their rebuild process beginning uh, seeing the guys like Mankata and Anderson and uh, you know Sanchez get thrust into a, a larger role um, seeing those guys start to develop and blossom um, you know it made it, it made it a, a very appealing situation to, to come over to, to the White Sox.
0: So did you have an inkling when, when things uh, when you knew you weren't going back to Detroit this could be a spot for you?
5: Yeah. So when uh, when things were made official over there in Detroit, um, the White Sox were the first team that called. Uh, it was almost immediate that they they showed their uh, their desire for for me over here, and um, you know it, it was uh, kind of one of those things that uh, the way it all played out, it, it, it played out perfectly.
0: Didn't take a whole lot of convincing.
5: No, no. It uh, I knew the, the the direction of the the organization. Um, you know the the talks of. Of going after guys like a Machado or, or a Harper, and, and knowing uh, you know where they are in, in the rebuild, and wanting to be a part of that process of uh, coming out of the rebuild.
0: So you thought that uh, hey, I could be playing with some big names over here this year.
5: Well, yeah, and and then you throw in the the guys uh, that they already have had here, and in, uh, in like I said, Machado and and uh, Anderson, and then uh, you know Gio and, and Lopez and Rodon. Um, Kopeck will be back, you know, at some point next year. That's that's the. The beauty of this organization is, is the depth that uh, that they have. Well,
0: you also knew probably this is going to be a great opportunity for you.
5: Yeah, um, you know that was that was part of it was uh, knowing the 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 opportunity here to uh, you know to play and and you know bounce back from what was a down year last year.
0: Okay, so take me through that. You, uh, I, I, I've heard you talk about how you wanted to figure out who exactly who you were. That's not an easy thing to do. Like. Literally for anyone, let alone playing competitive major league baseball.
5: Yeah, um, <clears throat> you know, it, it really, it really boiled down to uh, first off, any time you fail, uh, there's got to be adjustments. Um, and I'm not talking on a on a night to night basis because you're going to have your 0 for 4s, you're going to have your bad outings as a pitcher. But uh, when you fail over the course of of, of a season um, and have a down year, there, there has to be an adjustment. There has to be something that uh, that, that you change. And for me. Uh, I found myself last year constantly trying to do different things, trying to uh, be someone that I wasn't um, you know and, and just in that that constant search. Uh, so for me, it was okay, I, who am I? who, who what, what kind of hitter am I? Um, and be content with that. Don't don't try and be more than, than what you are. Um, and, and that's that's kind of where I'm at now.
0: So how would you define that right now? because I mean you're you're hitting right in the middle of the order.
5: You know, I've said it from the beginning of the season. Uh, where you hit in the order isn't a big deal to me. Um, I think a lot of times when you get caught up hitting, you know, third, fourth, fifth, and you got to be a home run guy, you got to be an RBI guy. Uh, it gets you away from who you are, unless you are that guy. Um, and for me, I'm, I'm a guy that that's going to stay gap to gap. Uh, you know, line drives and, and let the line drives turn to home runs. Is it hard
0: for players to? Uh, like you see yourself in this spot of the lineup to try to you know fill that role. Oh, I'm hitting leadoff today. Maybe I should take some more pitches or whatever. Maybe I'm hitting fourth. Maybe I should try to take the ball of the ballpark.
5: Yeah, I think that they're you know they're, I, I use the word stereotypes, Lucy. There's a stereotype based upon where you're in the lineup, what kind of hitter you are, um, but that's not that's not the case. Uh, and like I've said, you know, since I was in high school and college, um, once you get into the third, fourth inning. There is no more one, two, three, four. It's all about how it lines up based on you know, who's leading off that inning. So at any point in time, you can be a leadoff guy or you can be the you know, guy hitting third or fourth inning with guys in scoring position. So
0: what, what do you give the, the most credit to, I guess, for the success you've had so far this year?
5: Honestly, uh, it's, it's just been staying within myself. Uh, I'm not trying to do too much and uh, not allowing one bad at bat to snowball into the next and, and then into the third, fourth at bat, um, And, and taking, taking what's given to me, not trying to turn something into more that when it's not there.
0: So that sounds like maturity.
5: Yeah, I, th- I think maturity is definitely a word. Um, and, and just an understanding. Understanding uh, of, of who I am as a player, uh, understanding what the opposing team is trying to do to me, and understand the situation in the game. Do I need to take a pitch here, or is this a good time to, to, to ambush and, and hit a first pitch? Um, it's just a, a total understanding of, of what my particular game plan is for each at-bat.
0: So you think the game, as a catcher, the entire game, what, what should we throw here? What is this guy like? How do you react to this pitch? How do you not get in the way of yourself with that? As far, especially when you're at the plate, because you know you could think through 17 different scenarios of what he's going to throw you.
5: I think that's that's definitely part of being a catcher. Uh, that's a blessing, but also a curse because you can uh, catch yourself thinking along with the pitcher and catcher, and, and that gets you in trouble at times. Um, whereas, you know, the best hitters in the game, while, while there's times they may be sitting on a certain pitch, uh, more often than not, they're, they're reacting to what they see and trusting what their eyes are telling them. Uh, so there are times where, as a catcher, you're thinking along with, with the pitcher and what he may be trying to do to you, and uh, that takes away from, you know, what you've worked on so hard of, of just seeing the ball and reacting to it.
0: White Sox catcher James McCann with us here on White Sox Weekly. How did it happen with you and Giolito uh, building a bond like you have?
5: Honestly, it uh, is just a kind of a process over the course of spring training into the season. Um, talking to each other, uh, building trust. Uh, you know, he he knew me from facing me and, and from being an opponent, but we didn't know each other before spring training. Uh, and so, the way that you really go about it to start is, um, you know, you work with uh, you work with with a guy to build that level of trust and and. And then they, when they do trust you, you, you can kind of move on from there. And, and that's kind of where we were. Uh, we had built the trust up. I helped him understand what opponents see off of him. And then uh, next thing you know, we're into season, and you get the in-game experience, and there's a lot of trust that gets built up up from there.
0: I want to go back to uh, Lucas in a second, but what, what do you think of Yolmer Sanchez?
5: Uh if you want to be honest, he's one of the best teammates I've ever had. It's pretty simple. He's uh, he's always happy. He's always uh, keeping guys, you know, on their on their toes, and uh, he's he's a heck of a teammate.
0: Is there anyone in the game like Yomer as he walks away now?
5: Oh man, um, you know what? There's a uh, I've had one other teammate that's pretty similar to him, uh, Hernan Perez. He's in Milwaukee um they they both grew up in venezuela they don't didn't know each other but i could swear they're brothers based on the way they act let's
0: go back to lucas did did you see this coming this this month of may
5: you know i the the mechanical changes he's made has been awesome um you know his stuff his results it's it's all you know speaking for itself but one of the big things for me is just his mental approach um you wouldn't know if he went one, two, three and struck out the side, or if he gave up a three-run homer. Uh, the way he comes in the dugout, the way he goes about his business, the way he handles everything—he's uh, he, really emerging in, into a true pro. And um, you know, maturation—that's that, another—you know, maturity—that's that's another uh, big part of his game—is is how he's uh, he started to mature.
0: And that's a big-time comment by you, considering I think when you were in the other dugout. You didn't see him that way,
5: correct? And that was one of the things we talked about in spring training. Um, it, as an opponent, I knew the day that he had his good stuff, and I knew the day that he didn't have his good stuff. Um, and that was one of the things we talked about: was hey, a, as a hitter, I can't be able to tell what you're feeling. I can't if you if you miss your spot. I don't need to know that you missed your spot. You, I need to think, oh man, he meant to throw that ball there, um, and that's what he's done. He's he's uh, maturity's a. a, a a big word for, for him in that sense.
0: couple more seconds here with James Buchanan. First of all, uh, the first time you started a game in the big leagues, you, you caught Justin Verlander. That's
5: amazing. Uh, the first start was David Price. Okay.
0: okay. So that's written wrong in, in the uh, in the Wikipedia. Word. So, okay, fine. David Price is pretty amazing, too. But you're, you're catching him. You're catching Verlander as a young guy. Just, I mean, I would assume that's fairly intimidating.
5: You know, um, yeah, uh, part of it was but the other part is when you have a guy like that you know a price or verlander on the mound they know what they're doing and it's my job not to screw that up really it's okay how do i get on the same page as them um they have an idea they they know exactly what they want to do uh and we're in a playoff hunt you know that made it made it even better
0: what'd you learn from verlander
5: you know just his routine um watching him you know keep the same routine day in and day out he uh you know he's a special pitcher. He's a future Hall of Famer, um, and just just watching him go about his business has helped me. You know, help guys like J. And, and Rodon, and, and, and help them understand the, the the need for a routine that you stick to. And, and uh, you know, he was he's a you know Verlander's a true pro. Um, he, he did a heck of a job.
0: That's not bad. That's not too terrible right now for everything that's going on, right?
5: Hey, you know, with the the injuries that we've endured uh, to our pitchers and, and just everything that's going on. Uh, a lot of credit to, to all the guys in the clubhouse um, and just the culture that's being created here. Uh, you can see the, the amount of fun that we have in the dugout. Um, you don't always see the fun that we have in the clubhouse, but it's, it's a great group of guys, uh, great team chemistry, and the culture that, that's being built here uh, is, is something special for years to come.
0: Well, you've been a huge addition, man. Thanks for taking time. Congrats on the success, and uh, keep it rolling.
5: Absolutely. Thanks for having me. So there was James McCann. It's amazing
0: that, uh, you know, we, we talked earlier in the season and all that is still applying today. Lucas Giolito continuing to have the season that he's had, and James McCann has gone on to play in the All Star game, which uh, was not exactly something you would have thought would have happened at the start of the year. Uh, McCann's future with the White Sox, I think, is a bright one. He is arbitration eligible for next season. So the White Sox control his rights. Uh, he made two, he's making two and a half million dollars this year. So he'll get a good raise. Maybe he'll make five million next year, six million, but that's a very affordable contract for a starting catcher. And then he'll be a free agent after 20 in 2021. So the White Sox have some time here. They can look at the way Zach Collins comes along and they can also see if James McCann is really this James McCann. So. He's got to continue to prove himself, as we all do every day. And um, I would think at some point here, if it does continue to go like this, James McCann could, could get himself a two-, three-year deal to stay here. Because if he's not the starting catcher and Zach emerges that way, then he'd be a very valuable backup. And you can trust a guy like that to be a positive clubhouse person every day. I think the way he appreciates Yomer is impressive in itself. Because I've spent a lot of time in a lot of baseball clubhouses. There are not that many Yolmer Sanchez around who show up every day with a positive attitude, all smiles, ready to uplift their teammates, talk to the media, be in a good mood. It's a long season, right? I mean, everybody knows this in their own line of work. When you're coming in every single day, some people are smiling, some people are not. Yolmer's one of those guys that you want to be around. James McCann's a flat-out leader. so I, I think um, I, I I would anticipate that he'll be with the White Sox next season, and if I had to bet on it, I would say going forward that you'll see him in a White Sox uniform 2021- 2022. Uh, and, you know, as he aligns and you look at the contracts, Jose Abreu is a free agent after this year. And Somebody called in wanted to know the future of McCann and Abreu. Jose Abreu is saying that he's going to sign his own contract with the White Sox. So, Uh, I don't think Jose is going anywhere. I think uh, clearly his value is great, both on the field and off the field. Now, I'm a cake-and-eat-it-too person. If you could, and I don't necessarily think the White Sox can get the value that it would take to do this, but if you could trade Abreu before the deadline at the end of the month, get something of value, something that you would want in return, And tell Jose Abreu at the same time, hey, we don't want to do this, but we do think it's best for the long term of the club. And come the offseason, we are going to make you the best offer that you have. Whatever dollar figure is out there, we're going to beat it. So go ahead and hopefully win the World Series elsewhere. And whoever we're getting for you is hopefully going to help you and us win a World Series when you come back to the club in 2020, 2021, 2022. Uh, that, that's, that, that's a win-win in my mind, but I, I don't think that the White Sox will do that. But we'll see. Uh, anything's possible, I suppose. Hey, join us as the Sox take on the Oakland Athletics, Saturday, August 10th at uh, 6.10 p.m. First 20,000 fans will get an Eloy Jimenez first, MLB home run bobblehead. I already read this one. All right. Well, reading it again if you're just joining us. Presented by Guaranteed Raid, your trusted teammate throughout the mortgage process. Get started today at rate.com. Yeah, I definitely read this. To purchase tickets, visit whitesocks.com. I meant to read this one. Sox fans, join us for country music night as the Sox take on the Twins Friday, July 26th, 7:10 p.m. the first pitch. There, be sure to stay after the game for a post-game fireworks show presented by Coca-Cola grab an ice cold coca-cola and enjoy the game to purchase tickets visit whitesox.com ron kittle is going to join us coming up after 8 30 kitty of course played with harold Baines, who's going to the hall of fame next year and kitty's always fun to talk white sox baseball with so he'll be with us after 8 30 we'll have a couple of highlights for you coming back though uh from the first half some some fine fine moments that you'll enjoy hearing again so that is next on white sox weekly 720 wgn I don't want to go too hard at the Oakland A's in their media relations department. But these are the notes in the postgame, which are normally, you know, you respect the team that you're playing. Here are the A's notes as they write Chicago notes. Dylan Covey lasted just two-thirds of an inning after allowing six earned runs. His outing was the shortest by a White Sox pitcher since September 21st, 2017, when Carson Fulmer left left after a third of an inning due to a blister. Last time a White Sox pitcher went two-thirds of an inning or less without an injury was April 18th, 2016, Carlos Rodon. Now that's just a lot of effort to figure these things out and just to stick the knife in, right? Next one, Zach Collins. Snapped in over 23 streaks. It's homering in his first major league at bat. That's kind of nice. But then they add on. White Sox pitchers own a 6.5 ERA, 26 earned runs in 36 innings, when he is catching. You're breaking down when Collins has been behind the plate and giving out the ERA of the pitchers? It's a lot of effort there, Oakland. feel like you should have something else to do. Yohan moncada note 3, 0 for 4. Snapped his career-high 14-game hitting streak. He was batting 404 23 for 57 during the streak. But we stopped it today. We're the Oakland A's. And the last one is kind of nice. John Jay, 2 for 4, has now reached base safely in 11 of his first 12 games with the Chicago White Sox. Thank you, Oakland. All right, I slightly lied to you. We'll do the first half and review coming up after Ron Kittle. But Kitty is next after a quick check of news in two minutes on 720 WGN.
1: Whoa! Rooftop
3: shot for Kittle into this win on a cold night, and the game is tied.
0: You gotta be kidding. That's awesome. Little Hawk, a little roof shot, a little Ron Kittle. White Sox Weekly 720 WGN. Kitty! Thanks What's for thanks for answering the phone on a Saturday night, sir. I appreciate you. Thanks for coming on. <laughs> My pleasure. So I, I wanted to, to call you because uh, your guy Harold Baines is going to the Hall of Fame next weekend, Kitty. And uh, you know you were a rookie of the year in 1983. Harold was a huge part of that club that, of course, won 99 games, went to the playoffs. Should have been the Orioles, didn't? But uh, your Your thoughts on on Harold getting in somebody something that you know we didn't think was going to happen uh but it did and and now one of the class acts in, in White Sox history is going into the hall of fame
2: you know I've, I've been with Harold in the minor league since nineteen seventy nine so I pretty much know, know him as good as anybody there is and uh, I couldn't be more happier for him. I think I'm more happier than he is to tell you the truth, and uh he's a very humble, quiet individual
0: uh well deserving of that award also so you're what was what made harold so tough at the plate i mean he could he could take the ball out of the ballpark he could go the other way he had uh you know he had the leg kick that was unorthodox but worked for him like what would what would you say that made him so good well you know he was a clutch player i mean when
2: they had that uh, game winning rbis when they started uh tabulating that he, he led the league i think a couple years in it uh, i was kind of mad because you know he'd get two rbis right in the first inning and uh i get a couple RBIs, and we win by one. So the winning RBI went to him. But, uh, you know, he was clutch. He was quiet. Uh, he handled pressure pretty doggone good. Uh, very, You know, he's quiet. I'm loud, you know. I, I, I voice my opinion. Uh, Harold just did his job day in and day out. And uh, probably one of the best clutch hitters there were in baseball period. I think George Brett might have be just a little bit above him. Uh, but I'd still take Harold any, any day of the week.
0: So, Harold was the same with his teammates as he was with the media. I mean, it, you know, you, he, you weren't going to go up to Harold Baines and get, uh, you know, three paragraphs if you were a, a reporter covering the team. But you're saying that in the clubhouse for the game, same way? Absolutely. He just did his job. You know, he was prepared himself. Uh,
2: you know, when he was number one draft choice, we were in the minor leagues together. <clears throat> and uh, they worked him hard. He worked hard, never complained about anything. Uh Uh, Just did his job day in and day out. And I saw him progressively get better. I mean, I remember at first they'd hit him fly balls and he couldn't catch it, let alone see it. It hit him in the shoulder. Uh, But they, obviously, the scouting department, they knew what he had into him, And uh, the guy could hit. He could just flat-out hit. And uh, love him to death like a brother.
0: Ron Kittle with us here on on White Sox Weekly 720 WGN. All right, so you mentioned game-winning RBIs. You know, according to... The seam heads nowadays, Kitty. That stat does not matter. Batting average doesn't matter. They figured out this thing called launch angle. I think you might have figured that out a ways back. You can't put the ball on the roof without a launch angle, right? Uh, how how do you watch in the game now? And I guess the way it's changed, where everyone's trying to take the ball out of the ballpark, and there's you know, you weren't exactly the guy that was going to steal a ton of bases, but that part of the game is gone. And we got all the shifting. Does it, do you like it? Does it bother you? Do you think baseball needs to get in there and, and perhaps create some rules that might bring it back to the way the game was played when you were out there?
2: Well, it's still played the same way. You know, there's a winner and a loser, but, uh, you know, they got a stat for everything how many times you tie your shoe, how many foul balls you hit. Uh, it, it's just a different complexion of the ball game. I know when Harold and I started together, uh, you, you had to go out there. We, we had a great team. Nowadays, each team probably has one or two top players. Uh, after this, I don't think there's too many people are going to go into the Hall of Fame with all these abbreviated stats of hitting home runs and striking out 400 times a year. Uh, it, it is a different game out there. I mean, the money it's, it's ungodly. I mean, I'd wear an ugly dress the rest of my life <laughs> for that kind of cash just to play again. And uh, But... It's still a great game of baseball. You know, people want to see the home runs hit. When you go to the ballpark, you're not praying for a no hitter. Pitchers are going two innings, then another pitcher's coming in for two innings. Uh, I don't think anybody's ever going to win 300 games again. Nobody's going to get 3,000 hits. I just see the game just uh, playing
0: off on the home runs and uh, the the social media part of the game. See, I, I get that it takes three singles put together to score a run versus one big shot to take the ball to the ballpark, but when they're shifting and they're giving you basically the entire side of the field, if there's nobody out or one out, I I don't get why guys haven't adjusted and just shoot the ball the other way. I know it's not that easy to do, but there are a lot of hitters out there who weren't Ron Kittle types who could take the ball 500 feet that should be able to do that, or if not, are at least are skilled enough to put a bunt down that way, and they can walk to first base. Like I, I would think that adjustments already happened, but it, but it hasn't. I, I don't know. Do you, do you have any reason why why it's why hitters haven't adjusted to what's being presented to them? I, I have I have no idea, but I tell you what, uh, I'm six four, two 260 pounds.
2: I would learn how to bunt just to get a ball over there to get a hit, right? Uh, and and you know the pitchers they put the shift on you. Do something over there, especially if you're struggling and you can't. You're not hitting the pitcher well. You can definitely bunt one over there or just tap it, check, swing it, and something's going to happen. Uh, they're not worried about their batting averages at all anymore. They're worried about how many balls they can get in the air. I think the balls, I don't know if they're juiced or not, but I know they're wound tighter than they were in the past. Every stadium's aerodynamically designed, you know, not just billboards for advertising. Those are like wind, wind currents that circulate. You know, I've seen balls fly, the wind blowing in at all the ballparks and balls are still flying out of the ballpark because that current from all those signs just makes it a swirl. And uh, like I said, I'm, as a fan, I want to see the ball go out of the ballpark, you know, not by a guy who's hitting 125 and and uh, hits four home runs a year. You know, I don't want to see that, but I, I want to see good quality baseball. And, you know, you look at all the old hall of famers, you know, they hit, monstrous home runs lots of home run great batting averages but i think that era is over with i think they're just looking for uh, a guy to go out there to bring some excitement to the to the game and to your home team whoever what team you're on uh they want some action out there they want social media highlights popularity that's what is going to happen
0: how many uh what percentage of the time kitty did you go to the play trying to take the ball to the ballpark that that's your mindset you know, I never did that.
2: I just really? wanted to. I wanted to hit the pitcher in the face uh, every at bat. You know, and but these guys don't even get hit with pitches anymore. I mean, I was hit what fifteen, twenty times a year. I mean, those things hurt. Yeah. Uh, nowadays, they got uh, protective uh, Ironman armor on, and you're going up there taking some free swings every day without even having a threat of coming inside. So the game has changed that way too. But. I, uh, you know, if I hit a home run, I had a couple hitting runs that I opposite field home run, just trying to make good hard contact. But, uh, you know, you just got to go out there and play the game, what you're capable of doing. I wasn't going to go out there and try to hit singles. Uh, Charlie Lau, one of the greatest hitting coach ever, he said, son, because I don't care what you hit in the big leagues. You hit the ball out of the ballpark, you can drive Cadillacs and Mercedes. <laughs> you know, I kind of just, that was my uh, hitting lesson from the greatest hitting coach ever.
0: Uh, that's awesome uh, ron Kittle by the way with uh, ronkittle.com you can get a granite ashtray with etched with etched baseball seams uh that you're making for the, you, you is this kitty are you busy uh, it seems like you got a lot of products going on here i do
2: you know uh, i've been pretty fortunate to have a skill to do stuff like that and uh, over the years all the players who've retired from other teams and the white sox retirement uh, i get to make uh commission gifts for them so August 11th is Harold Baines Day, and I'm making him something special. Uh, it is really cool. I want the same thing that I'm making Harold, but uh, he, I think he's going to love the daylights out of it, and it, it's fun. You know, I tell everybody I was a horrible ball player, but I'm a pretty good designer, and uh, but I, I have fun, and uh, I think the world of Harold Baines. I couldn't be any happier for him, and I'm sure there's other people in other towns who have their favorite players. Who think they should be in there, but uh, we got a Harold Baines and he's going in uh, this coming weekend, and uh, I'm I'm pumped for him. Are you going to go? Are You going to Cooperstown? Absolutely. I'm going to be the one making funny faces at him so uh, <laughs> he doesn't get emotional up there uh, and talk about his dad and you know his family. You know he, I, I know him. Like I said, as good as anybody there is in the game, and he's just a good guy. And you got to keep a little humor in with him because. It should be emotional because he misses his dad, and his dad was a big reason why he was playing baseball in the minor leagues all the way up to the big leagues. And uh, I-, I know if he had one wish, he'd want his dad to be there for the inductions.
0: And uh, so, But unfortunately, he's going to get Ron Kill and Jerry Reinsdorf and everybody else there. What, what, what more do you know about the relationship with his dad that you could share, Ron?
2: Well, it was just a big part of his life. He's the one that taught him how to play baseball. Mm-hmm. And uh, what Harold told me in the past, that his dad – loved baseball and had an opportunity to play some you know not college baseball you know summer league and tryouts but you know he was busy raising a family and that probably happens to so many people over the years uh, that you just try to wish your skill sets onto your son and i think his dad uh who's been god bless his soul been gone for a while passed on some pretty good skills to harold
0: yeah no no doubt about it so you're not going to give us a little hint on what this gift to harold is will you
2: no, nah, no. Nah, nobody knows what's going on. Matter of fact, I don't even really know what's going on until I put it together. But uh, it, it's going to be pretty doggone cool. And uh, and I kind of told him I'm making him something and he's trying to, you know, give me hints. And I said, no, I ain't telling you. Not until you see it. And uh, he's excited. He knows I make some pretty cool stuff and uh, he's going to love it.
0: Ron Kittle with us here on White Sox Weekly for a couple more moments. RonKittle.com if you want to check out some of his stuff. Uh you got the, the, the granite ashtray that I mentioned. You've got the let's see, we got the hand turned laminated clean dried ash bat situation going on. You got a lot of stuff here, Kitty. What what if somebody's going to the site right now, what, what do you recommend number one? Well, I can make anything. There's nothing I can't make, honestly. I just you no, know, I've made uh Jim told me the
2: eight-foot bat. I've made six-foot bats. Uh, I've built stair uh, stairwells for people's homes, uh, humidors. I make the benches, and I've been doing that for over 30 years. And I just kind of do that for fun. It's a hobby. Uh, I like when people say it's too expensive, and then I go, don't buy it because I don't need to work at it. Uh, <laughs> it's just fun. Uh, and I like doing it, and I'm proud of it. And it's, it's more pieces of art. But, you know, anything to do with cigars or baseball or designs or american flags made out of baseballs so, i mean I'm, a, I'm the only one making it. there's nothing that i make that nobody else does it's all it's all individual items
0: and by the way you cub fans out here on ron kittle's side, cubs red cigar ashtray inserts i mean we it's not just not all white socks here well you'll you'll go north side if if, if need be correct I'll take anybody's money to tell you the truth. I mean, uh, I'm, I'm no, I'm no fool. I'm
2: come from Gary, Indiana. Anything that I can make and sell, uh, and I take that money on selling these items, and I create new items. So it's not like I'm sitting there going out there to buy uh, candy with this stuff. It, it turns into new tools and better tools and uh, better products. And I, I, like I said, I have a fun time doing it, and uh, and it's pretty cool. And I, when people get it, I'm pretty proud and honored that they can do that.
0: That's, that's awesome. All right, before you go, Kitty, let's talk about the ball club real quick here. Uh, what, do, what do you think of Eloy Watching him up there, does he remind you of anyone? What would you say? Uh, you know what? He's out there in the same
2: position I played. Uh, he's got a lot of talent. Uh, he's going to mature. He's going to get better. I like uh, Johan Matata, who's had a struggling year last year, but he played. This year he's over 300. Uh, I, I, there's some great future for the White Sox team. he got some fun players uh yomer Sanchez is one of my favorite players he's probably one of the smartest guys on the team baseball wise uh he's energetic I, I like that uh and they're all gamers and they Ricky Renteria makes
0: them hustle and they all hustle and if they don't hustle they're out of the game so I really like that even better it's it's interesting that you brought up Yomer I was talking about him earlier on the show and you know I've been covering baseball other sports for a long time now Yomer's a guy that does not exist in every clubhouse somebody who comes in happy to be there willing to do anything to lift up the ball club and you know he can play all across the diamond play second can play third you could in a pinch you could put him at short those guys they they have a lot of value in that clubhouse do they not oh absolutely and you know he's one of those players right now he
2: can probably play 10 15 years in the big leagues as a utility player because he can cover anywhere I mean, you can throw him at first, and I'm sure yeah. I told him when he came up to the big leagues, grab a catcher's glove. Learn how a catch, because there might be a situation where you might need him switch hitting in a catcher's position. Maybe not the whole game, but for one out or two outs or something like that, get him in a game. Uh, very versatile, and I would pick somebody like that on my
0: team because he can play anywhere and today's game was a d- disaster, but there were some gr- there was some Yomer moments one where he covered uh, first on a double play that was a very heady play coming over from second to be there. normally, the pitcher's there, and Yomer was there to, to take the throw. It was a nice job kitty you're awesome. enjoy going to Cooperstown and uh, you know the tribute for Harold's going to be great. looking forward to the speech i hope he I hope it's a loquacious Harold. is he going is he going to write this thing out What, what will Harold do? Well, he's already written a speech and uh I, I sent
2: him a, a, a text yesterday joking. I said, I hope you're working on your speech and not your sixty uh, yard wedge shot into the green you know and <laughs> cause he likes golf and uh like I said, I, I know him better than my own brothers. So, you know, and I've been with him for almost forty years. So I, I I can validate that. I know what he is, uh I know his personality and I'm I'm proud of anything. I mean he he's a remarkable guy
0: Awesome. Kitty, thanks for taking time. Appreciate you. All right. Have a great night. We'll do Ron Ron Kittle on White Sox Weekly, 720 WGN. Quick timeout, and uh, we'll we'll get as many first half highlights as we can sneak in here before 9 o'clock, 720 WGN. It's great to be back with WGN. It's White Sox Weekly on the official radio station of the Chicago White Sox, 720 WGN. Thanks again to Ron Kittle. Appreciate the text coming in. People enjoying Kitty. I need not enjoy Kitty. I used to love to take the ball back up the middle and take the pitcher's face off. Now that, some good old school baseball right there. Hey, spend your summer at the ballpark with bleachers and brews. Get one bleacher seat, two beers for $22 all season long. You must be 21 and over with a valid ID. Bleachers and brews presented by Budweiser purchase tickets, visit WhiteSox.com slash brew and enter that promo code brew. Also, if you want to kick off your baseball or fast-pitch training, kick it up a notch, you should come and try out for the 2020 White Sox Elite Teams. They're the perfect programs for young high school boys and girls who want to develop their skills for the next level. In 2019 alone, White Sox Elite helped over 30 players continue their careers at the collegiate level travel team trials coming up july the 22nd for more information visit Whitesocks.com forward slash play and that's our guy uh, michael Hoff is doing a great job with uh, the Sox camps, and uh, he's been on WGN a bunch. All right, real quick here, because we're running out of time, but I want to get at least one highlight in here, and let's go back to the start of the season. It's April 12th. The White Sox are playing the New York Yankees. Aloyia Menace has a fresh new contract, and he's got a pair of these.
2: Here we go, holder set,
0: runner goes, and
2: the pitch high and deep to straightaway center field. Brett Gardner on his horse looks up. Goodbye! Set Eloy Moore. Jimenez, first big league home run to straightaway center
1: field against the Yankees.
2: We said he's more selective, he's aggressive. We both agreed. That was walloped way out of here. Friends, make no mistake about it.
5: The 1 1.
2: Swinging a long one. Tagged, bagged,
5: second home run. Light it up. That is absolutely crushed out of here.
0: Wow. I love the second call with Farooj just like sitting back and he like he, you could just hear him not believing it. He's leaning, back. whoa! This dude is launching balls at Yankee Stadium. That was awesome. All right, let me do a final timeout here and uh, we'll sneak in while you're here. Let's go. Let's go to April seventeenth, Curtis. Let's go to Kansas City and let's go to when Tim Anderson and the bench is cleared because Brad Keller's an idiot.
2: Tim Anderson will lead off the sixth inning for the White Sox in a 2-2 game. And that ball was thrown behind him. That was unpurposed, Darren. Make no mistake about it. Yes, it was. And apparently there are people that have taken exception yeah. to
3: uh,
2: antics from Tim Anderson after hitting the home run. I don't have a problem with that. Uh, you want to throw the bat? That's one thing. You want to take abuse? Then you're going to go up there and take abuse. And the bullpens have emptied. And uh, usually in these things uh, yeah.
0: rarely do you see a fight occur
2: but when they have one they have a good one
0: yep there was no real fist fight going on but there was some words exchanged and timmy ended up getting suspended one game for saying something to brad keller that baseball didn't think that he should be able to say all right let's take that final time out dave hoekster coming up here uh the nocturnal journal on 720 wgn news in three minutes
4: see you later